This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 188 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, so it's been another busy week in the hobby. Of course, you guys know the NBA is back. We had the Industry Summit in Las Vegas. Panini even announced a G League box set. But I've got to start today off by thanking those of you that reached out to me during Hurricane Ian. You know, it's never fun waiting a hurricane out. So we did whatever we could to prepare for it. And thankfully, we really only had to deal with some down limbs and maybe a couple days of cleanup afterward. But I can live with that. So, you know, it could have been a lot worse. Thank you once again to those of you that reached out. As for today's episode, I've got a fun conversation lined up for you as part of today's main segment. Some of you might know Chatri a little bit from social media. It was nice to finally chat with him. I mean, we've been messaging for several years now, but uh, it was good to be able to put a name to the face and and get to talking to him more about his collection. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Like I said, that's today's main segment. And I know it's been a little while since I've done a mail segment. Well, for time's sake, I have to forego that again this week. Although, you know, fear not, if you really want to see that, you can find all of that on my YouTube channel still, in addition to my ongoing 50 Favorite Cards countdown. And you'll remember I talked about that process on episode 187. Well, if you want to see the cards themselves, you can go to either my Instagram, where I'm kind of compiling them into um, longer videos on my YouTube. Okay, and while I'm talking about content, let me just say, I've seen a lot of posts this week that seem a little frustrated with the state of sports card content out there. And while I think some of these complaints are warranted, I think there's a lot of good stuff out there too. And we need to make sure that we're spotlighting that as well. So if you enjoy a particular type of content right now, more so than ever, whether it's this show or something else, please please, please share it with other people. I know, you know, I always just assume that collectors know about this show by now. I've been around for a while, but I still run into people that are just now discovering it, which is awesome, by the way. I I love, you know, meeting those people and interacting with them. So if you're one of those people and you're listening today, just know that I'm glad you're here. And I hope in one way or another, this show can help to further your collecting experience And speaking of the collector's experience, that's about as good a segue as any to this week's installment of Collector Classifieds. Hey everyone, it's Hugo. You can find me on Instagram at nabrolian underscore PC. Thanks a lot, Cal, for allowing me to be 
this week's Collector Classified. I've been looking for the 2018-2019 Panini Status Basketball Gold out of 10, uh, Tony Parker. He will be uh, in his uh, Hornets jersey. So if you have any leads, I would really appreciate your help. You can uh, contact uh, me through Instagram again at nabrolian underscore PC. Thanks a lot and have a great episode. Okay, so it's kind of fitting that Hugo is this week's collector classified. As you'll hear later on, Chatri and I talk quite a bit about 2018 status. Well, Hugo's looking for the 2018 status gold of Tony Parker number to 10. And I've chatted with Hugo online for a couple years now and was fortunate enough to even meet him for a few minutes at the Midwest Monster Show in June. He's a converted football collector, and I'm very happy that he's crossed over to the basketball side of things. So let's see if we can't help fuel that energy a little bit and help him find this card that he's looking for. All right, before I move into today's conversation, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey everybody, Boston Steve here, the Northeast Correspondent, checking in from the city of a winning basketball team, and you are listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so joining me today is someone you heard from not long ago as part of Collector Classifieds. You might know him by his Instagram handle, which is at Wade underscore Zoe, and although we are many, many miles apart today, we were able to figure out a time to make this happen. So Chatri, I appreciate you working with me, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Carl, for having me. Appreciate it. Shout out to all the other international collectors out there as well. All right. And we will definitely be touching on that international aspect today. I know some people have been asking about it, um, so I don't want to neglect that. I, I want to make sure that we touch on that. And, um, you know, you're, um, there are a number of other topics that I want to touch on as well. Everything from Alonzo Mourning to Panini Status to your work in graphic design. Uh, but before we get there, I think it would be a good idea to have you take us through your collecting history um, and take however much time you like here. I might kind of stop in and ask you some clarifying questions, but uh, take as much time as you'd like. Sure. Um, so as you might be able to tell from the accent, I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, so back in those days, uh, when I was in primary school, we used to collect quite a lot of Australian rules football cards or Aussie rules cards. So that was really my first foray into collecting cards um, back at that time. I think if I had the cards in my hand still to this day, I'm pretty sure they'd all be like PSA 7 or PSA 8. So I really looked after those things. Um, so anyway, so from that, that was basically my introduction to card collecting. And there wasn't any hits or anything. It was just basically just collecting sets as you do. And then when I moved on to high school, uh, this was the mid-90s. So you can probably take a stab and guess how old I am from that. But basketball was huge in, in Australia, um, not just the NBA, but the NBL, the National Basketball League was massive. And yeah, just really got into NBA basketball. Um, my first sort of introduction to it wasn't necessarily watching any games. It was just basically seeing all the starters caps and starters jackets around. 
And um, from that, I basically picked the Charlotte Hornets as my team through no other reason than they had the coolest colors and the coolest logo. And um, yeah, that was that's how I got into that. And then from that point, I suppose, you know, there wasn't really much NBA to watch at that time. You know, we're talking the mid-90s in Australia. I think we spoke about this previously, but there was a show called NBA Action, which is much different to inside stuff. But one of the things they used to have, um, you know, their sort of signature thing at the end of every every episode was the top 10 plays of the week in the courtside countdown. So I just remember watching that every week and then just picking favorite players from that. And yeah, Alonzo Mourning was my guy because he just blocked everything. That's where I got into really collecting Alonzo Mourning. Had every Alonzo Mourning card, you know, through the 92, 93, 94. Um, and then as it started to get 95, 96, you know, cards started to get a little bit rarer. Um, and we started to see a little bit more of serial number cards coming in. And coming from Melbourne, you know, even though it was quite a big thing there and you'd find hobby shops everywhere, it was quite difficult even at that time to find the cards that you wanted. So when you've got scarce cards, thinking about things like a Flair Legacy where it's out of 150, and it sounds so silly to talk about now, 150 is quite a lot in terms of a print run, but pre-eBay days, pre-internet, when you've just basically got two or three local shops, the odds of you finding any legacy is tough enough, let alone of the guy you collect. And I think I saw the writing on the wall there and things obviously getting quite expensive for a kid in high school. Uh, so I stopped collecting that point, which, you know, still to this day is devastating because obviously the next season had the best inserts and parallels that people still collect to this day. Um, I came back around 2003, so I had a bit of a hiatus. Um, the, being a Heat fan now, after following Alonzo morning after his trade, um, picking up guys like D. Wade and LeBron and Chris Bosh from that year. And that was the time when eBay sort of really started to kick in. So it allowed me to finish some old sets that I had from you know the mid-90s, which I never thought I'd ever complete. And I'd see cards that I'd never thought I'd ever see. And it gave me access and a lot of other collectors access to those cards. Um, and then, you know, after a couple of years, sort of dipped back out of that, made a brief cameo in 2008 with Michael Beasley uh, in that, talking about fail of a prospecting hey, scenario. I mean, there. He was a big deal then. So I, you know, I laugh only because I remember that. He was a big deal. Couldn't miss, apparently. That's what they said. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I dipped in, dipped my toe into that a little bit. Thankfully, Nothing too crazy because I didn't have the budget to, even if I wanted to. Um, and then basically stops for, for a long time. And then in probably about 2017, I went back to Australia to help my mum clean out her storage unit. And I had a couple of binders in there with some sets that I had completed, um, you know, namely the 96, 97 autographics, black ink. Oh, wow. And obs more obscurely, the 2003, 2004, Scarbucks Autographics, which weren't autographs. Um, it was just a set called Scarbucks Autographics, but the Royal Insignia. So the mm -hmm. purple parallels out of 25. So that was a set I had, um, you know, had all the cards for that set. So I brought them back uh, to me here in the UK, where I now live, and started selling them off on eBay. And then as soon as I started selling them off, obviously you start searching as you go along to see what the other comparable prices are and, and so on. And then before you know it, you buy one card here and another card there. And then as the pandemic took off, I've been fully back immersed into everything. So that's that's the full 
journey in a nutshell. So you um, were kind of fortunate in the sense that you came back right before a lot of other people came back or a lot of other people entered in, kind of gave you a jump start on things. Do you feel like that gave you a, a bit of an advantage on building your PC back up? I think so. And I think it's more because of the knowledge I had from the, the mid 90s. And so understanding what the desirable cards were, which cards I should be going for. And also understanding which which cards collectors tend to gravitate to. So there were a couple of cards that I picked up which I've since sold because the price has just got obscene. Um, but yeah, I think I've had a little bit of an inside track knowing, you know, through the mid-90s to the early 2000s, which sets that that people really like to collect. Um, so I was really lucky to get back in at that point. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have some of the cards I have today. Right. So as you were going through that, I was kind of jotting some ideas down that were coming to my mind. So I want to, we're going to kind of run back through your story and, and look at certain moments here. But um, I feel like your story is also unique in the sense that um, you really doubled down or you, or you dove right into the basketball world when you hit high school. Whereas a lot of people are kind of leaving at that point because priorities are changing um, was that just a product of the times? Was it just timing? Or why do you think your story is a lot different than uh, many other people? I think, and maybe I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, but it just felt at that point in time that basketball was just such a huge thing in the school I went to anyway, and even some other schools like locally. Um, I remember actually even the teachers had trade nights, like with the mm. students. That's how big it was at the time. So it just, it didn't seem that was so out of place. It was just, it was the cool thing. I know it's counterintuitive. It's not necessarily the coolest thing to some people, but at the time at school, that was the cool thing to do was to, to get into NBA and get into collecting cards. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically how I got into that. Okay. Yeah. Whereas I feel like here, um, maybe people don't necessarily leave the NBA, but they, that manifests in different ways, maybe more so video games, uh, or, you know, other avenues there, but it's interesting that that took you to cards. Um, and then also you said you, you chose the Hornets and you mentioned the starter gear. So I'm guessing that you said the hats, I'm, I think the jackets too, were those popular in Australia? Yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's everyone's introduction almost into basketball at the time was just seeing or NBA basketball, I should say, is just seeing all these cool starters hats and jackets around. And I think, you know, as I said, there's no real reason for me to pick any particular team. At that point, I'd never traveled to the States. I've got no family or friends over there, but for some reason I picked Charlotte as my team. And I suppose that's how it works with most people if you're overseas. There's no, there's no real local connection like you would get if, you know, like where you live, for example, would dictate which team you cheer for. Right. Um, but from an international perspective, it's just what looks the coolest, especially if you're, you're a high school kid. Well, that teal and purple was awfully mesmerizing. I will have to confess here. I don't know if I have before, even as a diehard Pacers fan, I had a Hornets coat because that was just what you did then. I feel mm -hmm. like I, that had to have been the best selling coat uh, by multiples over all the other coats, maybe even the Bulls. I don't know. It just seems like that at least. Um, so you said then. You chose the Hornets, you chose Alonzo Mourning. And I'm thinking about the time frame there. I know, you know, a year prior to that, Larry Johnson was a big deal. So what was it necessarily? Because, you know, Larry Johnson was a big deal in pop culture as well with Converse and Grandma Ma. So what was it that directed you more so towards Alonzo Mourning instead of Larry Johnson? 
I think part of that was the timing, just because by the time I got into high school, Alonzo Mourning, it was would have been his second year. So he would have been the newer guy, even though LJ was just the year beforehand. Mm-hmm. I think part of it was also just me being perhaps a bit of a contrarian in some ways, because I didn't want to collect the same things that everyone else did. And at the time, obviously, Shaq was the, the main guy and Alonzo Mourning was the second pick. Um, and then likewise, you could argue that on the Hornets team, he was the second player behind, as you say, Larry Johnson. Um, and then also personally for me, I, I played center in high school. So it just made sense that I, I would go after the center for the Charlotte Hornets, which happened to be Alonzo Mourning at the time. Right. Well, and, and probably in retrospect, probably a, a better move. Uh, not only Zoe over Larry Johnson, but also the Heat over the Hornets when he he moved on. And uh, that sort of became your new team. And uh, you said you came in and out for every big Heat rookie uh, since that point, including Michael Beasley. And I know we laughed about that, uh, but he really was a big deal there. And um, from talking with you previously, it seemed like you also developed a love for set collecting. You mentioned that 03 um, Skybox autographic set. Um, it was that, uh, was autographics, the 96 set. Was that the first one that you, you know, seriously chased or which, what was your first set, set that you put together? The first set I put together would actually be probably 93, 94 upper deck, just the base set. Okay. Um, just because it was just, that was just how I understood collecting to be. And going back to, you know, in primary school, when you were collecting, or when I was collecting Aussie rules cards, you just, there were no inserts or parallel. You just put together a set. Um, so it just made sense that once you start collecting something and it could be a completionist thing, but you just have to finish it. Right. Um, and then as, you know, as you get a bit older and once these inserts started coming out, like I love the idea of autographics. I think, you know, they were the first um, sort of major autograph insert you could get. I know they had these one-offs with like Karl Malone and, Drexler and guys right. like that, maybe an ultra. Yeah, but those were really s- obscure though. They were super obscure and the pack odds were insane. Like I can't even remember. I just remember seeing just a really high sort of numeral figure on the back when they showed the pack odds. But yeah, just to collect the autographics and get guys like, you know, BJ Armstrong or Kenny Anderson. You know, it's especially coming from Australia. You're not going to ever see these players play live to even get the chance to get them to sign anything. So to buy a pack and potentially get, a signed card of theirs was was awesome. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the reason I started trying to put together that set. Um, but I didn't actually finish that set till probably about 2005 once eBay came in because mm-hmm. for the same reasons I couldn't find you. You learn which players are really scarce and which ones didn't sign anything um, because I think a few other guys try to collect that set and we're all missing the same players. So once eBay kicked in, then it made it a lot easier to obtain these cards that you would otherwise never get. Yeah, I remember in elementary school talking about the autographics, and I think it was actually the the ninety eight year. My uh, one of my buddies pulled a Corey Benjamin auto, and uh, we didn't even know autographs came in packs. So we sat there and debated if that was actually a real autograph or not. You know, and granted, the back of the card it laid it out pretty clear. This is an official autograph signed by Corey Benjamin, but. Uh, to us, it's like, no, it can't be, right? This It was unheard of. So um, same thing, I imagine. And uh, so you you started off with that upper deck set and, and kind of worked your way into some bigger stuff there. So um, you mentioned there, you, you kind of mentioned it in passing, but I feel like this could be a big deal. You moved from Australia to London. Is that correct? 
Yep. So it was meant to be, so this was in around 2009. Okay. And, you know, like most Australians and most people from London, we almost have a, you know, sort of unofficial exchange program. It's just, you just go to the other one's country. And so I was doing the, the Aussie thing of just coming over to London and yeah, what was meant to be six months turned into 12 months, turned into a year, like two years, three years. And then, yeah, I've been here since then. So it's, what is that? 13 years now I've been here. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, people were asking for international content. So I feel like then not only could you tell us about the card scene in Australia, well, you can tell us about the card scene in London. So um, could you compare both of those for me? I mean, is, are, are they similar? Are they much different? I think historically it'd probably be, it's much bigger in Australia. And I think part of it is just because, you know, growing up in Australia, I think we always looked up to just American pop culture. So whether that be sports or TV shows, it was huge in Australia. Um, whereas it feels like over in the UK, foot, soccer, I should say, mm-hmm. soccer is the number one sport here. So it's not really, it, people don't get into things like the NBA and NFL as much as they would have in Australia. Things are changing here now. I've noticed it's, there's definitely a, you know, a movement towards that. But I feel like historically, because there isn't that same, uh, I guess, heritage of collecting American sports, it's still quite new here. Um, I know there's a London card show that's popped up. Um, I've still never been able to go. And I know there's some amazing collectors out here who I've dealt with uh, as well. But it's, it's a much smaller, it's more niche out in London so far than it was back in Australia. Yeah, and it even seems to me like the sports leagues here are really trying to push themselves on London. I don't know, you know, and I don't know if that's reciprocated. I don't know if London is really just begging for them or if it's just those leagues trying to really branch out and, you know, open up a new audience and, you know, all the, obviously all the money that comes with that. Like I know even the NBA is going to India, right? So they're, they're trying to target specific areas. Um, And it's hard to tell at least from, from here, if, if people are receptive to that, or if it's just, no, those leagues are just really trying to push out. I think um, it's hard for me to say because I'm not necessarily a big NFL guy, um, but there is always a huge NFL game in London. You, you just cannot not see it when you're here. Mm-hmm. So they definitely push that. And they basically have, if you go down Regent Street, which is like one of the main central streets here in London, you've, you've got the Union Jacks of British flags hanging up. But during NFL week, it's just replaced with NFL logo flags. Um, so it's massive. And the Nike store in downtown sort of does all the, does this huge NFL pop up and they have all the players come down. And I've noticed that's become really big over the last few years, obviously pre-pandemic. But yeah, that right. was that was a big deal. You couldn't, you couldn't avoid it. Well, maybe someday the NFL will actually start sending some good teams there. They always send, uh, it's always Browns, Jaguars. I know the Colts went there one year. Um, so it's always, you know, they always keep feeding them like C-level games. It's like, you know, give them, give them something good. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, they don't want to do that. I guess it's better to send a, a bad game over and, and monetize that as much as possible. Kind of like they've done with Thursday night football. Uh, but I digress. This is a basketball show here. So, Uh, No matter where you're located at, if it's London, if it's Australia, as long as you have access to the internet, you can still be an active participant in the card world. Thanks to show sponsor ComC. ComC is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. 
Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time, ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckoutMyCards. Now, Chatri, I know you've used ComC a little bit, and I have to ask you because I can read the promos and I can read this stuff on their website. Um, how exactly does it work from an international perspective? They do have a, a mailbox service there. Is that correct? Yeah. So I have used uh, ComC. I also use ShipMyCards. They're both great services. Um, but yeah, ultimately with ComC and their mailboxes, you just, you know, you complete your standard eBay purchase change your address to the ComC address, care of your ComC username, and then they'll upload the card to your inventory. I think it costs a, a couple of bucks. Um, but yeah, that's scanned ready to go, whether or not you want to sell it or you want to keep it in the shipment to send with your other cards all in one, one go to save on shipping. Um, but yeah, that's, that's possible to do with them. And they're really good, to be honest. I'm not just saying that just because I'm on your show, but right. they will... As soon as the card hits it, I always get the notification. I always follow like the USPS, you know, delivery notifications, as I'm sure we all do. And literally on the same day, you'll get the ComC mailbox arrived uh, email. And they'll they'll take a little picture of your card and, and show us there before they properly scan it and upload it to inventory. So, yeah, they're really good. All right, perfect. So if you are uh, an international collector, I'm sure you know about that already. But if you don't, that might be an option to consider. Okay, switching gears a little bit here, you mentioned to me previously that you're involved in graphic design. So I we have to talk about that a little bit um, because you've been along, you've been around long enough to see different manufacturers try all sorts of different things. Um, do you think that your line of work has any influence over how you collect today? I think for anyone, if you're collecting, you basically, and I know it's the cliche, but you just collect things you like. And design as card collecting is all subjective. So what I might like, it doesn't mean it's the right thing to like. It just happens that I like it. Um, I definitely don't think it's influenced my practice or anything I do in terms of my job. Um, but maybe it's been some something that's sort of subconscious because one of the things I always say is, you know, good designs never really noticed. You only really notice when it's badly designed. Mm. And perhaps I grew up in an era where the designer cards were so innovative and, you know, things with the boundaries are really pushed that I just expected cards to look like that. You know, you never thought, I never really sat down and analyzed the the composition, the layout, you know, the typographic integrity of, of any card. I just gravitated towards things I liked. Um, but yeah, I guess as you as you go over time, you start to see, you know, and I think you you spoke to this as well with your your Dale Davis PMG, and I know we we talk about, you know, the amount of how many times can you reprint a PMG, but the more you see what's being produced today, I understand why people go back to see mm -hmm. what previously existed and have a greater appreciation of it, and I think the same could be said with some card designs now. I think you know. There's some there's some really nice stuff being produced, but yeah, you really notice when it hasn't been designed well. Right, and I know you and I have talked a little bit about uh, the backs of cards lately. I would I wouldn't even call it much of a design. It's just an NBA logo um, with maybe a date on it, and that's about it. It seems to be um, becoming less and less. 
Um, do you think, you know, maybe it, it parallels to other forms of art where people will say, you know, th there's only so many songs that can be created. You can only arrange notes in so many ways. You know, we've had millions of songs, you know, everything's, everything's already been done. Do you think that's something that Panini's running into or, or do you, you know, what do you think the issue is right now? I think that it is to some extent, um, but it's almost, uh, I guess it, they're almost doing it to themselves because if you're producing the same product lines every year, and I'll look back on it, you know, when you think about the 90s designs and you think about Fleer and Upper Deck and Skybox and just even their base sets, from year to year, they look so different from one another. Mm -hmm. And I think it was interesting because I've heard previous conversations with Jean from Arena Design and her talking about just the overall concept of certain cards. And you know, one of my favorite sets is the EX2000, like the credentials sets, basically, and the, the 97, 98 version. And I heard a, heard a conversation with her where she talked about the, the overall idea for cards almost that year was to make the athletes superheroes. So if you notice them, the way they're cropped on the cards, they come off the card. They just, everything about them is more in your face, the way that they're, you know, the images that they've selected, every, all the details have, have basically been made with that core concept of making these athletes superheroes. That's why we all still like those. And that's why they look the coolest to this day. I don't think Panini do the same thing. I think they're, they're more on a superficial level where, you know, they'll say, for example, a blank slate has to be blank it's it's right. not something it, it makes more sense if you said you know this is about creativity and having this blank canvas to showcase your skills like that would that would create a more interesting design but everything's so formulaic because they're so literal with how their design needs to take place and i understand why because they've got like a million products so if they if they stray too far from one you get they'll probably confuse it with a different one mm -hmm. so I think that's a, a product of just having too many products basically that they're producing. And I understand they have these constraints as a result, um, which is a shame because there are a lot of times when I pick up things like flawless and, and I can't tell the difference and it's not cards I tend to collect. I'm sure if I looked at it a bit more deeply, I'd, I'd see it, but they look the same to me. I, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how they keep being made every year. Yeah. Now I, I will say, and I've heard a lot of people talk about flawless and uh, there is a part of me though, that likes the continuity, um, even though it is just a, a you know, picture with a, a white background, right. Or, or a cutout of, with a white background. I like being able to look at a card and saying that's a flawless card, but kind of what you alluded to there, when you then also look at the national treasures and it has a very similar look. Um, it, it starts to kind of water things down and um, not as good and, and kind of, um, you know, seems uninspired to say the least. So hopefully we can get some, you know, something new in here. If, if Fanatics buys Panini, who knows what that's going to mean? You know, I, I've heard that it would just really just mean Panini's just going to keep operating with the current staff. Uh, not that I want people displaced, but it really would be nice to see uh, something different come about in some way. So I guess only time will tell. Do you have any uh, any wishes for what you hope will happen? I think, well, firstly to that, I'm with you. I think the actual designers on the Panini team are doing the best they can under the circumstances. Um, I've worked in, you know, as you said, I work in graphic design. I've seen the production process. I understand the, you know, the time constraints, the deadlines you have and, and the briefs you get 
from from the top. So I really sympathize with them. I think they're in a sort of no-win situation, whatever they produce, um, and they're doing the best they can. I think for me, what I'd like to see is, yeah, more competition. And it doesn't necessarily mean that these guys leave their jobs, but it makes sense. Like even if Fanatics were to buy Upper Deck and Panini and have all these different, you know, trading card manufacturers, just to just create extra teams. You know, so you you almost create that internal competition where the upper deck team wants to do better than the the you know the Skybox team or the Panini team or whatever, or the Tops team, I should say. Um, but yeah, it's just more a case of I think more of that needs to come back into it because it's just the same people making the same things every year, and it, things do get stale. I, I've been there. I've I've worked with clients long enough where you know after a certain time you you do question like there's only so much more I can do. And it's just really a case of getting some fresh eyes onto it just to, to mix things up a bit. Now, um, one Panini product, though, that you have really gravitated towards, so I'm assuming you like the design of it, is Panini Status. And I, we've messaged about Status quite a bit. Uh, there, there's no mistaking that I like it as well. I've made that. I've been very vocal about that. But, um, you know, we just talked here about design. Was it the color scheme that drew you to the product or what was it about Status that really hooked you? I think for me, it's probably the most 90s set that Panini have produced, whether that's intentional or unintentional. Um, and I think it's just the, you know, it's strange because, you know, we talked about set collecting and having that sort of completionist mentality, you know, the idea of consistency and, and having things in a sort of regular manner is something that I think we both uh, appreciate when it comes to cards. But for me, there's something about status and, maybe it's because it is so irregular that you've got guys you know so for people who aren't aren't familiar with what how the set works is their main parallels which is the ones that i like to collect uh the ones that are serial numbered to the player's jersey number so it's completely different it's not like a gold prism where everything's out of 10. you know you might get a, a joe ingles out of two or a luca out of 77. so the joe ingles only has two copies um, but I kind of like that idea that everything's a little bit jumbled up in that way. People talk about it being almost like the credentials, which I disagree with. Um, I see some sort of elements of how it's constructed being similar, but yeah, they're two completely different sets and I wouldn't want to insult anyone with a huge credentials collection to compare it to Panini status. But yeah, and I think also it's just the affordability of it because you know I'm, I'm not working with a massive collecting budget. And yeah, Panini status is somewhat overlooked. I know it was a, a cheapish product at the time. And yeah, it's just the first card I managed to find was a, a Ricky Rubio out of three and it was selling for like 30 bucks. So I thought, okay, card out of three, I'll, I'll, I'll pick this up. And before you know it, I had five or six of them and then just went down that classic rabbit hole and now I just have to get as many as I can. Yeah. And so you started, well, just to clarify, even though they've done different iterations of, of status and aspirations, um, it became a standalone product in 2017 and then also 2018. I don't count the 2019 product. That was, it didn't look like the other two at all. It didn't have the same configuration. I think that was just a last minute name change um, just to move some product. But so you collected the 2017 and the 2018 specifically and you said you came back during the pandemic, or actually, I'm sorry, a little bit before that. When did you start collecting those two sets? Did you get them get on them right when they came out, or was it after that? I wish I collected them as they came out. It was just a little bit after that. It probably would have been 
it was it was not long after you had discussed with Evan on your okay. podcast about status. I was already thinking about it. I'd actually picked up a few. And then when you guys had mentioned, I thought I better get these before everyone else gets onto them. So that was probably the time where I, I started to really get serious about collecting as many of those as I can. Okay. So then that um, parallel eventually moved back to elite. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So eventually moved back to elite. And I know you hunted that um, pretty hard. And that was your first one that you hunted since it actually came out. You were there at the release. So you you talked to me before, and I don't want to jump too much on, on your side of this here, but you talked to me before about how that was kind of an experiment for you to see if you could build it from release, if that was any easier. Uh, what, what were your findings there? Yeah, so just to that, I, I suppose it wasn't something I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to collect it or not, but I, I know because some of these cards are so short printed. So if you do see a card that's out of two or three or four, if you don't get it now, you don't know when you're ever going to see it again. Mm -hmm. So I just figured at the time, I really like this set. I, I wanted to see what I could do if I just started collecting them as they were being opened. And I think I managed to put together between two thirds to three quarters of that set. I had tons of guys that were out of two and out of three. Um, I soon realized it was just going to get you know, exponentially more expensive to try to get the one of one. So I pulled the I pulled the pin on that and just stopped collecting that and sold them off while they were still relatively new. Um, but yeah, it just taught me that, you know, if even if I was unsure about it and I knew I could recoup my money back in some way, maybe not all of it, but most of it back anyway. So it wouldn't have taken a huge financial hit to to just try to go for it while the cards were available. Because um, yeah. one of the things I found is with the 2017, 2018, obviously they've been out for a couple of years now. And I've seen previous sales of some of these rarer ones. And, you know, it's unlikely I'll, they'll surface for some time. They're locked up in player PCs and team collectors PCs. So, you know, I guess the 2020 Elite was a somewhat of a test just to see what, what the outcome could have been if I just went for it gung-ho at the start of release. I know um, I, I do, and you know this, obviously, because you've messaged me about it. I, I do have the Oladipo. Uh, I have the two out of four, and I have been waiting for the four out of four uh, for a very long time, and I have never seen any of the other three. Um, and I you, you mentioned grabbing that Rubio for 30 bucks. I think I got that Oladipo in that same range, maybe about $26, um, but I have not seen one since, and, and that's just one I'm like, man. I'm not a huge Oladipo fan, but I would like to see that show up someday. That would be a nice way because I have the two out of four, and keep in mind he's jersey number four, the four out of 10, and then the four out of 96. So if I could grab that four out of four, that would be a great yeah. day. Yeah, I, I really want that card to show up as well. I want, I actually want to get that four out of four so I can trade it to you, Carl, for the two out of four. And also, <laughs> and your I would do that. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I would do that. So let's hope maybe someone out there has it and, and they can help. Uh, help both of us out here in the process. And um, until then, though, let's kind of take a look at some of the cards that you already do have, because you do have quite the impressive collection. I've tried this a couple times lately, and, and everyone has a lot of good things to say about it. So I want to do it again here. I want to hear about your top three cards in your PC. And, and that's kind of how we'll close this one out today. So if you don't mind, go ahead and start with number three, and then we'll work backwards. I think. Um... 
I'd be remiss not to include a status card after we talked about it so much just now. So I think as my number three card, and I, I, to be honest, before we get into this card, I don't know how you've done your top 50 uh, cards. It's, it's impossible. It's even day to day. I find this completely subjective and tomorrow I'll completely change my mind and regret that uh, yeah. I picked these three as my top three. I had to, I had to group them and then just randomly place about 25 of them, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Well, fortunately, my collection is relatively small anyway. So, it's, you know, we're working with the, you know, honorable mention to my 97, 98 Alonzo Morning Rubies. It was devastating. It was a last minute cut. Had to make it because I, I wanted to include a status card for this conversation. So I suppose my number three card would be a card that's numbered out of three. Would be this Dwayne Wade status parallel from 2018-19 status. Yeah, it's just a super cool card. It's It's out of three. And... For me, this is a the story that goes along with it as well. I remember waking up one day, you do that stupid thing where you checked, uh, you know, the eBay previous sales for whatever reason. It's never a good thing. That's painful. And I saw yeah. that this card had sold basically as a buy it now. And that's another disadvantage of living not in the US is you just get so many cards that get. I have a, the opposing fear that the international collectors are going to swoop in and scoop up the cards that I'm looking for that I'm not seeing late at night. So that might be a worldwide thing here. I think we might need to have some kind of coalition of people who just stay up 24 seven, just to make sure that certain cards can get sniped uh, appropriately. Um, but yeah, so this card, basically I, I tracked down the seller eventually um, took me ages to find him and he bought it for his kid. So this Dwayne Wade card he bought for 60 bucks mm. uh, as a buy it now, because that's what it was priced at. And he, he just told me flat out he'd never sell it because it's his kid's favorite card. So I was like, okay. Um, but I just kept bugging him, basically. <laughs> and it got to a point where, you know, I think I was I was actually in the States. I was visiting my dad, who, who now lives just outside of um, outside of Boston. So I was out there visiting my dad over the Christmas period. And for some reason, this guy decided to post it on eBay just to see, mm. because he, he must've thought this guy is so keen on this card. This has to be worth the time. So he posted on eBay and it was just crazily high price. So no one touched it. And then, yeah, I managed to negotiate a, a price with him to, to buy it. So that reminds me of that painful experience, but also just the, the, the elation of having him accept my offer finally when I was, when I was visiting my dad. So that's a that's a PC card for sure. That's, that'd be number three. Now let me interject here. If if memory serves me correct, 2017 the weight is a bit of an eyesore because it's a Cavs card, right? Numbered out of nine. That is, yeah. You didn't need to bring that up, but yeah, that is. That's why <laughs> I, I like the 2018 better when he's back with the Heat, and it is out of three, whereas the other one's out of nine. So right. I do have one of those as well. Um, I think they look nicer again, too. I'll, I'll give you that too. They look nicer, and again, you know. Not to go back to Panini bashing, but it is very clear when you put this alongside. This is another thing I will say, my last piece against Panini. I've noticed this when they cut out players, and this is different to what they used to do back in the 90s. When they cut out players on Panini cards, for some reason they have to put the whole player from head to toe on the card. So in this, I'm holding up here, you can't see it, but Dwayne Wade's going up for a right-handed floater in the lane, I'm guessing. So he's got his right arm extended. He's got the ball at the tip of his fingers. And they've included all of that as a cutting out. So when you think about how small that's going to be as you shrink it down to fit onto a, a tiny card, he looks miniature here. 
Yeah. And I've noticed they do that on a ton of their cards. That's one of my biggest pet peeves with how they how they treat their photography. At least he's complete though, because I can tell you, I think Austin Crozier on his metal card might be missing half of his head. Um, that, that the cropping on some of those was um, pretty rough. It was rough. Yeah. I guess there's, you know, there's always improvements. Um, so there's always in-betweens to go to, but anyway, that's my, that's my minor pet peeve. I'll, I'll stop bashing Penny now. All right. So number two, then what you got for me? Number two would be going back to 96, 97, Starbucks autographics, but this is the blue ink parallel of Alonzo Morning. And this is again, going back to, I'd never thought I'd see this card. I think when I was collecting autographics in the nineties and I remember my local card shop, they had a Clyde Drexler blue and everyone lost their minds over it. And for people who don't know, the 96, 97 autographics were all signed in black ink, except for the first hundred cards, apparently were all signed in blue. And there are some exceptions to that. So Scotty Pippen and Hakeem Olajuwon had all their cards in blue. And Kevin Garnett signed two thirds of his cards in blue and one third in black. So if you ever see the Kevin Garnett blue on eBay and people say it's out of a hundred, that is a flat out lie. The black one is the rarer one for KG. Um, but for every other player, the first hundred's in blue. And yeah, Alonzo Morning. I never thought I'd see it. And the the issue with these autographs as well is over time, you know, this is what are you talking like 26 something years? Um, they tend to fade and the color changes. So oftentimes you can't tell what the original ink color was. So to find one that still looks sharp blue is very hard to, to track down. So I was really excited to add this one to the collection and that one's not gone anywhere either. All right, perfect. And did you, that was an eBay win? That was an eBay win, yeah. Perfect. All right, so number one, what you got for us? Number one is going back to 9798, uh, EX2001 Essential Credentials Now of Alonzo Morning. Ooh. And there's just so many things I love about this card. Um, big fan of green, as you know. That's why I like the Hornets to start with. Uh, and the now parallels are all green on this year. And I suppose it's just the whole whole use of technology. You've got the, the foil, the acetate, the die cut. Everything's all sort of put together into one card. And I think it's just, uh, just a quintessential 90s card. And I completely understand why you know, they're so heavily sought after even today. Um, but for me, it was important just to add this one just as a, a shout out to my younger self, because it's something I never thought I'd ever be able to obtain. So, yeah, it's, it's just a nice feeling to, to have that in, uh, in hand after 20 something years of never even expecting to see one in person. And I, is that your Instagram uh, profile picture? Is that card? It is. It is. Yeah. OK, I was going to I never pieced it together until now, but that, uh, I guess, makes perfect sense to me now. Well, Chatri, thanks for sharing those with us, uh, among other things today. I really appreciate it. It's been a blast here. And um, before you go, though, I want to give you a chance, the same thing I do with everyone else here. If you want uh, to plug your social media handles or anything you're working on or anything else that you're looking for, maybe there's a card that uh, would you know jump in front of one of those top three cards if you could find it. Now's your chance. These next few moments here are yours. Well, Firstly, Carl, thanks again for having me. It's, it's been great fun. Um, as you mentioned, my Instagram handle is at Wade underscore Zoe. Um, I suppose just in terms of cards I've been looking for, I know I did a Collector's Classified not too long ago, and I talked about the status cards. Perhaps more specifically, if we were to track any of those down, it'd be from the 2018 set. We definitely need to find a Victor Oladipo four out of four. <laughs> so please send that my way so I can trade it to Kyle. 
It's it's um, in some flippers wax stash on his shelf right now in his basement, I'm sure. Yeah, and the price is just quadrupled. So I understand yeah. that's the consequence of doing these. Um, but, but yeah, from the 2018 set, two of the main guys are looking for Steph Curry out of 30, uh, Nikola Jokic out of 15. It'd be cool to find. And yeah, I mentioned his name earlier, but I'll say it again. I don't know why. I know why, because he's a fellow Aussie, but I really need to find the Joe Ingles out of two. So if anyone sees that card, the Joe Ingles 2018 status out of two, hit me up. All right. Well, there you have it. Everyone put out some feelers for that. Let's see if we can find those. And Chatri, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks, Carl. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Chatri for working with me and overcoming our different time zones. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.